Gun's Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny Episode 77. Today we're going to chat with Jimmy Lynch from Triari Metalworks. Brittany thinks ARs are junk and talk about EDC tools. Today's panel is Sean Heron and I'm Ava Flannell. And I've had too much coffee yet again. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I think I need so much coffee, but I just drink uh, too much. Okay. Well, you know what my problem is? What? I took NyQuil like two days ago. <laughs> it's still, it's still in up. my system. So then I've been taking like a bunch of coffee. I took some like Sudafed that has like caffeine. It's non-drowsy. So now I'm like, I don't really know my head for my ass. <laughs> well, it's really confusing. They both look similar. Let's talk about manicure arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a really great jab. You like that? All uh-huh. right. Transformer rail. One time you told me that you don't like the way my guns look because they all look exactly the same. And I was like, well, it's because I found the products that I like that make my guns work really well for me. And one of those key factors on that is actually the transformer rail from Manicore Arms. Like, Hashtag fanboy. I, I am. I've bought a ton of them with my own money, which basically for you, the listener, should mean that yeah, he likes them. Obviously, he uses them a lot because he, he actually pays for them. It's not like, you know. It's weird that he's like referring to himself in third person. <laughs> it's a thing that I do. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, no, I, love I know. I know you're obsessed with them. And they are cool because, you know, times change. Uh, maybe MLock is trending. Maybe key mod. Maybe, uh, maybe you don't want anything. So basically this, the transformer rail allows you to change out all of the little panels. You know, if you have something that takes key mod, it'll take key mod. And then a light on the other side that, that you have a Picatinny mount for mm-hmm. that does that as well. Yep. So if you guys go to manicorearms.com, make sure you use that code gunfunny15 and that gets you 15% off. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. All right, we are here with Jimmy Lynch from Triari Metalworks. Jimmy, thanks for making the time. I know you're super busy. Yeah, way too busy. Thank you for having me on the show today. I have, a, I actually have a question for you. Out of the gate, the guy that's in your intro is that the Grease Man? The no. Grease Man. <laughs> so, it sounds just like him. I don't know if you guys know who he is or not, but that was a, he was a big uh, uh, radio personality from the '80s and '90s. Okay, but well, the it, guy sounds just like him. So, I mean, actually, it could be, but maybe now he doesn't work doing that. Maybe he works on Fiverr.com. <laughs> maybe, but <laughs> actually, it's uh, the Dan LaFontaine, the movie voice guy. He does a lot uh, okay. of his stuff. Gotcha. So yeah, your your intro. You guys are talking about stuff, and it's like uh, I know it's a uh, a side note from uh, why you guys brought me on the show, but I had like so many things to to add about what you were talking about with uh, setting all your M4s up the same way and and everything like that. So yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good stuff. A lot of people don't know they you know they see my my one company. I own two businesses. The other one happens to be a, a firearms training firm, um, and a lot of people don't know my full background uh, with weapons. So. You know, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. Well, shit, let's start there. Like, yeah. are you for setting up all, all your rifles similar, you know, or, or against? No, 100%. And I, I think my school of thought comes from the fact that I use uh, submachine guns and assault rifles professionally, where commonality becomes an important goal that I try to attain with my weapons. And that's all based on muscle memory and adrenaline dumps and cortisol releases and fight or flight response. I kind of started, uh, you know, with uh, my police training and where, you know, we have guys that carry certain off-duty weapons, and it's vastly different from their duty weapon. And you, you qualify with your duty weapon multiple times a year, 
And after a decade, two decades, whatever the case may be, that's what your brain knows. That's what your brain wants to do when you have an adrenaline dump and you need to use it in a situation. So when you're carrying an off-duty that you train minimally with, you know, your brain might not look for a decocking lever. It might not look for an HK-style mag release when your your mind is in a state of flight or fight response or you have an adrenaline dump. So I try and keep things on a common level. I, you know, personally, I, I own probably a dozen M4s and they're all set up the same, same rail, same grip, same stocks. And I'm a big proponent of that because of the, uh, the fact that ultimately at the end of the day, if you have to use it, it's going to keep you safer because it's what your brain knows. Yeah. And it, it all comes back down to that, like electronic impulses traveling on neural pathways. It, the best example I can always give for this is you eat every day with your right hand. And if you try to eat with your left hand, you're probably going to end up with an eye patch or something. But sure. <laughs> if you spend like three months, every single meal, every single time, Eating with your left hand, you're going to build that neural pathway. Probably not as good as your right hand, but you're going to become much more adept with it and much more natural with it. And you may even sometimes when you go to pick up a fork, just grab the fork out of habit because that's kind of what you've been doing. And it's the exact same thing I feel for my rifles is whenever I pick one up, I know how it's set up. I know exactly what it's going to feel like when I shoot it. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I do it. Neuromuscular facilitation is basically what okay. muscle memory is. Okay, yeah. great. That, uh, sorry for me. Like I, sorry, I, I like a little variety. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean I do have some that are different, but in general, I kind of I figure out something that I really like, and that's what, kind of what I stick with. Listen, Jimmy, I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to know sure. when did you start your career, um, and then later on, you know, when did you start your business, or what came first? Uh, a little of both, actually. Uh, before I was a, a police officer, I actually restored antique cars and built street rods for a living. I have a background with blacksmithing, so I've been around metal most of my life, and uh, I've been in law enforcement since 1997, and uh, somewhere around 2000, I started a side business uh, building choppers, uh, motorcycles, and doing paint work on motorcycles and building strutless rear fenders and handmade tanks and that type of thing. I had that around for a little while while I was in law enforcement, and uh, I, sh- I shut it down mainly because my, my law enforcement career kind of took me in pads, you know, loaned out to some federal agencies, and I got very involved with firearms in our SWAT unit, and they just piled so much on me that, uh, you know, it wasn't the right time to, to keep my business, that, that first business I had going. So, you know, I kind of ran with that, and I got big into teaching a bunch of uh, state certifications. I'm not sure how it works where you guys are, but... Basically, in New Jersey, uh, there's a limited amount of guys that are certified by the state for certain weapons. So there's a vast amount of firearms instructors in the law enforcement world in New Jersey. And firearms instructors, the basic certification, you know, covers pistols and shotguns. Once you get into different weapons, uh, you have to go to s- certain schools that are run by the state attorney general's office, which is the governing law enforcement body for the state that makes all your policies and, and guidelines for law enforcement to follow. So I ended up going to... Uh, assault rifle instructor school, submachine gun instructor school, then started teaching at the academy for recruits, basic firearms, and then I would teach, you know, advanced classes for in-service guys, particularly SWAT teams for uh, weapon transition schools, uh, close quarter combat, uh, mechanical, ballistic, and explosive breaching, and, you know, general uh, recalls that the state needs on paper four times a year for assault rifles and submachine guns. So I got big into weaponry and I taught a little bit uh, in the private sector for uh, another company uh, for a number of years. And then uh, somewhere around 2000, end of 2011, beginning of 2012, I started Triari. It's got a lot of weird facets to it. So I, I do a lot of work for the medical and computer industry. Some of it's government contracting, like uh, 
you know, stuff for L3 communications, predator drone parts, most of it's laser marking. Uh, and then I got into heat treating and CNC work and water jetting and coatings and kind of fell into that EDC and knife world unintentionally. And I just ran with it and, uh, you know, it kind of went viral for me. So I'm enjoying it. I enjoy going to the trade shows and, you know, making products and gaining a following, uh, that I have is kind of an odd one. Ava, I'm sure you've, uh, can attest to the odd following that I have, but, uh, you know, it's been a cool ride and I'm just going to ride it out as long as I can. And now what I'm doing is I'm bridging my law enforcement career to, uh, my metal business, uh, with products that, uh, can be used for law enforcement purposes, like breaching equipment, uh, stuff like that. I even started making mine probes for the EOD community, uh, titanium mine probes. Uh, and then I recently I've gotten into weapon accessories, single point slings, uh, charging handles, uh, trigger guards, stuff like that. So I don't, I don't really sleep. I'm one of those guys that if I get an idea at three o'clock in the morning, I get out of bed and I start putting it on paper or, or CAD. So, uh, it's just my personality. Sometimes it's a, a curse, but so far it's been good. Knock on wood. All right. Okay, dude. So you just completely interviewed yourself. Yeah. That was so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I can talk and I don't stop. So I apologize. No, don't apologize, man. That was amazing. I, I know already. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, cool. What have I done with my life? Uh, I worked out this morning. <laughs> Congrats. That's I, I ate some egg whites and you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> so when you got into, Go ahead, I'm sorry. When you got into like the EDC stuff, you said you kind of fell into it and you've got like a weird kind of community thing going on. Let's talk about the EDC community because it is kind of interesting and. You know, no. it starts with like EDC pocket dumps and then, you know, it's you're like, how do people carry all this shit in their pockets all the time? I don't know. I have no clue. Yeah. I, I have a uh, tack armor that I wear on a daily basis that weighs 45 pounds and I still all that stuff in. Wow. So how I got involved in that was um, I was doing Cerakote laser work on firearms, uh, some custom work like that. A lot of compliance work in New Jersey. So we have, uh, you know, New Jersey's got magazine capacity restrictions so uh there's certain firearms that like for example take a glock 17 new jersey at the time was a 15 round capacity so people don't want a 10 round magazine in the civilian world when they can have 15 so i was machining uh delrin blocks and and restricting you know magazines that were 17 rounds to 15 Mm -hmm. um so a ton ton of work with that you know the amount of work that i had just for magazine compliance was uh astounding uh so i had a friend of mine that moderates two of my my private Facebook groups came to me and he had one of these little EDC pocket pry bars. And he was just like, Hey, do you think you can make something like this? You know, you do some really cool work. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm sure I could. So I just ran off a couple and he posted them on, on another group that was EDC tool related and they went viral and now I can't keep up with the the thing. So, uh, it's working really well. And I think uh, a lot of my, a lot of my style with my products is very, uh, post-apocalyptic, uh, yeah. mercenary-ish, dark, that kind of thing. When a lot of the stuff in that EDC world, if you, if you actually sit and look at it, it's a lot of it's very colorful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I went the opposite direction outside the box and, and I gained a, a following of interesting people. Uh, they're solid customers and they're drop what they're doing here and help me if I needed it. So, you know, I, I run my business kind of like, uh, kind of like a motorcycle club. It's more of a brotherhood than a, than a, con- a consumer base business. Um, yeah. So it seems, seems to be working for me. Um, I, I but, actually, yeah, that, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Emma. I was going to say, actually, I happen to be part of that little brotherhood. Yep. You, you are. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> when I have absolutely. time, when I have time, I'm active in the Facebook group. <laughs> right. And you have to say, you can't open one of my pages in public either. Yeah, that uh, is true. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of inappropriateness going on, but it's kind of right up my alley. 
Yep. <laughs> I think, you know what? That, that page is a safe place where people that are like yourself who are kind of quiet about it in the closet, so to speak. Okay. Well, let's not just put my business out there. <laughs> but it gives people an opportunity to be themselves and, and, and it's welcomed and it's like, you know, you, you're around your normal day to day life where most of the people that I deal with in the law enforcement community aren't like that and they're not accepting of that. So, you know, my private group offers a place for people to kind of let loose and, you know, be themselves without judging and everyone's a, a tight group and you don't get picked on and, you know, yeah. so it's got a cool vibe. Yeah, yeah definitely. I like that. Hey, circling back, like New Jersey laws, it sucks to be a gun owner in New Jersey, but you're also on that law enforcement side. So you're kind of living in both those worlds and you're already talking about like how you were doing some compliance stuff. Let's talk about being just a gun owner in New Jersey. And then I'd like to hear kind of your viewpoints about being law enforcement in New Jersey with those shitty gun laws, but also being a gun guy. Well, with New Jersey gun laws, I think uh, a lot of them aren't as bad as everyone uh, from other states seems to think they are. I mean, a lot of times New Jersey gets equated to uh, being the same as California. We're really not. The only thing that's really, really happened in the last eight years is that our magazine capacity recently went from 15 to 10 for civilians. Mm-hmm. But we don't have restrictions. I mean, obviously we got restrictions on uh, barrel length and stuff like that. But the problem with New Jersey is that none of this is on paper. Uh, the ATF doesn't really regulate anything on a state level, so it's left to the state police in New Jersey. And the problem with the state police is that they don't put anything on paper, and compliant, non-compliant is basically left to whoever is in charge of the state police firearms unit that day. So, for example, uh, let's let's look at muzzle brakes for a second on ARs. Yeah. From the New Jersey State Police, and this was a meeting I sat in on, was a whole row of muzzle brakes that were lined up on a table. And the guy from the state police firearms unit was saying, well, these aren't compliant. This one's compliant. These aren't. And these last five are, well, what's your reasoning? Well, I can fit my pinky in these. So they're not compliant. And my exact response to that was, so in five years, when someone else takes over the firearms unit for the state police and he's got fat fingers and he can't fit his finger in these, these will be compliant then. And that's basically how they run laws in the, in the state of New Jersey. So, again, it's it's open to interpretation. If somebody has a bad day at the state police firearms unit, something might not be compliant. And then the next day it is. Good luck. Um, and, and none of it's on paper. So it's very frustrating as a civilian. It's very frustrating as, uh, a, a, you know, a, a someone who has an FFL that sells firearms and, and, and items like that because – it's basically Russian roulette what you're going to get on a, on a daily basis with, with, uh, regulations. Now the stuff that is on paper is obviously 16 inch barrels, but bullpups are an exception. So you can have a Tavor or something that has, you know, a short, uh, overall length, but as long as the barrel's 16 inches, you're good. Yeah. That's, that's um, federal, right? I mean, 16 inch barrels is federal. It's federal, but in New Jersey, you don't have the option of having a tax stamp and a short-barreled rifle like you would in other states. Right, right. Now, the exception is law enforcement, loosely. Um, a lot of times with law enforcement, if you don't have a, a justified reason to have an M4 with a 7.5-inch barrel, you run the risk of getting jammed up by the state police. Now, however, if you're on a SWAT unit and the gun is used in the course of your training, you can own it legally. So it's very, very gray and very difficult to navigate the, the regulations in this state. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you know Tony Simon from The Second is for Everyone. He lives in New Jersey. I'm not sure if you know him. 
I don't. Okay, he uh, don't he, just assume just because everybody lives in New Jersey, they're all like neighbors. Well, I just figured like gun people <laughs> in New Jersey, maybe he runs the Second Amendment is for everyone. It's like he does a diversity shoot that just brings in the people of all, you know, colors, creed, religions, races, whatever, and sure. does a lot of good work there. But yeah, uh, you know, he talks about some of that stuff that that you just mentioned, some of that gray area and some of that stuff super super difficult to to kind of circumnavigate. And actually, for people who remember Shanine Allen, uh, it was New Jersey that she got in trouble in basically she was cutting across the corner of the state got pulled over had a gun that was legal where she lived but wasn't illegal right. where it wasn't legal in new jersey uh governor christie when he was the governor had to pardon her at some point it was just like a complete disaster but yeah mm-hmm. definitely interesting place what about new laws that are coming down the pipes i've heard a couple of things might be in play which ones uh which ones have you heard i don't remember i just didn't know if you, if you knew of any common Nothing that's set in stone. I mean, there's New Jersey. I think is the the ru- rumor capital of the the country. <laughs> Probably. Um, uh, and it's funny because everyone asks me, you know, being from New Jersey, they, uh, you know, they send me a picture of the the cast from New Jersey Shore show, and I'm like, no, it's not like that. <laughs> I mean, it, is, it is at the Jersey Shore, but like where I live in New Jersey is kind of like. Uh, the county that I live in is all the way up by New York State, and it's farmland. It's all cattle and cornfields, and everyone drives around in lifted diesel trucks and has a shotgun in the back. Nice. But if if you go down where I work, and the cops find a firearm in your car, it's going to be a bad day. You know, I work uh, right across uh, the water from New York City, so it's very urban. Tons of law enforcement, huge, huge population, uh, a lot of gang problems, everything like that. So it's almost weird because there's certain spots in New Jersey that you almost think you're in a different state. You know, so law enforcement that handles firearm stuff up where I live will have a totally different reaction than law enforcement down where I work because of crime rates, you know, just the, the general mentality of, of r- rural living versus, uh, over, overly populated urban living, mm-hmm. uh, that type of thing. So, um, I've, I've felt that there's a, there's a lot of, uh, firearm stuff that gets put on, on the table in New Jersey. And it's almost like, you know, hey, I'm the governor, so I'm going to try and appease this group. Uh, but I'm going to put a bunch of stuff on here that's completely absurd. And, uh, we're going to settle on something simple like dropping the magazine capacity from t- 15 to 10. Yeah. But so far, nothing, you know, nothing's really been affected. I mean, you know, you can pretty much go into a firearm store and, and, get any gun that you want uh the only restrictions i get like i said are magazine capacity and and barrel length the only other thing in jersey that other than the ridiculousness with the the muzzle brakes is um you know just the mentality of collapsing stocks so they don't want you to have the ability to move your stock position so when you buy an m4 most of the gun stores will ask you where you want it they'll set you up with it and then they pin it wow but you can have it pinned all the way in the short position so it's like I can have it fully collapsed, so it's not an issue, or I can have it fully extended. I just can't have the ability to do either or. Yeah, it's it's very strange. So if they're worried about people concealing an AR underneath a trench coat, I don't see what the point is of allowing people to to pin it in the fully collapsed position. I know, man. So here in Colorado, we have the 15 mag capacity limit, Mm -hmm. and um, what I've noticed is gun stores a lot of times will just disassemble the magazine and then give it to them as a parts kit. Does that typically okay. happen in Jersey or are they pretty strict about? No, they're strict about it. So if you go in a gun store, you know, there there's, there's blue label. So law enforcement retired and active have different uh, regulations for magazine capacity mm-hmm. than civilians do. So if you're a civilian and you go into a gun store and you buy a Glock 17, 
you're going to get it with 10 round magazines okay. or you're going to get it where it's, it falls under the gray guidelines of an acceptable magazine. So, uh, a, say a, a Glock 23 mag, 13 rounds, if it's blocked at 10, uh, and the magazine floor plate isn't able to be removed without the use of tools, that's an acceptable magazine in the state of New Jersey, according to the state police. Interesting. I, one of the things that kind of makes me laugh about stuff like that is a 30 round Magpul P mag holds 30 rounds of 223, right? Standard mm-hmm. capacity in most places. However, it only holds 10 rounds of 450 Bushmasters. So where is that like delineation at? And it just doesn't make any sense, right? Cause I can have that and have it in my 450 Bushmaster and it holds 10 rounds and it's totally legal, even though it would hold 30 rounds of 223. Have you ever come across that stuff? I haven't. Um, most of the time in New Jersey, law enforcement aren't going to give people hard times about stuff. But again, it's one of those things. Technically, if you, if you're running your caliber and it holds 10 rounds, right? But you have that magazine in your car and firearm with you in the car. Mm-hmm. Technically, you're in possession of a high capacity magazine in the state of New Jersey. Yeah. So yeah. there's a great, there's a weird gray area there that can be bad. I think most of the time in, in Jersey, you're not going to have a problem with it. But it does. It, it creates a huge, uh, a huge probability for something to happen if you get the, you know, you get stopped by the wrong person or, yeah. or the state police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's been, there's been instances in, the, in this state where the state police have actually gone after other law enforcement. Oh, jeez. Wow. Uh, yeah. So there's always, there's always been like a, an issue here that's, that's tension between the state police and, the rest of the law enforcement world in, in, in New Jersey. Wow. Dang, that's pretty nuts. Hey guys, we're talking to Jimmy Lynch from Triari Metalworks. We're going to take a quick moment to hear from Hackett Equipment. All right. So Hackett Equipment is coming out with their rifle bag. You may know them from the Big Bertha and the EDC bag and all kinds of other stuff. They hold a ton of stuff. The rifle bag I'm pretty excited about because it doubles as a shooting mat. I saw it. I seen it. I held it. I touched it. I fondled it. You know, I just want to clear up a, a confusion that people might have because I know a few months ago we were saying that they were going to come out with one and they did. And it was kind of a trial yeah. run. Uh-huh. And then they took that, they took people's comments and, you know, their suggestions and then they made it even better. And this bag should launch, I guess, I think they're taking, they're taking orders in March and then it's going to launch in April. Very nice. Yeah. Also, guys, if you want to stay up to date on this, definitely like them or follow them on Instagram and Facebook. They're always posting a bunch of cool stuff. Yep. And you can go to their website, Hackett Equipment. That's H-A-C-K-E-T-T equipment.com. And there's a code that you can use. I never remember what it is. Gunfunny20. That gets you 20% off. That is awesome. All right. So, Jimmy, I want to come back to your business, Triari. You said that there was a story behind like the name for Triari. Basically, Triari were, uh, I'm not Italian, but it was a cool reference, basically a warrior spirit reference. Uh, Triari was the last line of defense in a Roman legion. And they were kind of like your, your tier one operators, you know, your, your special ops guys that weren't used until last resort. Uh, highest trained guys, a lot of times they were responsible for training, uh, new guys in the legion. And while they weren't fighting on the line, since they were the last line of defense, they were also responsible for maintaining all the weapons and, and even making weapons for the Legion. So because of the fact of my, you know, my background with law enforcement and weapons and teaching tactics and, and firearm stuff and then making knives and, and stuff in the metal shop that I do, I kind of felt it was an appropriate name and had a cool ring to it. So I try not to do anything that doesn't have uh, an explainable background. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's the, that's the name. And then my logo, 
you know, it's the the half cog with the flames and the Spartan helmet, and uh, it was basically kind of following the same thing, where the cog is, uh, you know, the craftsman, and the Spartan helmet is obviously your warrior, and then the the flames represent the fires of combat. Uh, so it kind of, kind of all, and I went with it. The only problem is, is everybody spells the name of the company wrong. So. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I couldn't even pronounce it. That's true. That's true. So, when, do you do you do a lot of civilian training? Yeah, in fact, my other company, Treyari Group, uh, which is just strictly a training firm, is uh, is mostly civilian based. One of the reasons I did that was because I don't like dealing. I, I'm not a fan of dealing with government because of the fact that you have to deal with purchase orders and it takes you eight or nine months to get paid because everything's based on fiscal budget years and everything like that. So, and the other end of it too is uh, a lot of times, and you know, I have no problem bashing on law enforcement because I've been a cop for 21 years. <laughs> and a lot of times guys hear me bashing on cops and they're like, Oh yeah, you're right. So one of the, one of the issues I have with teaching law enforcement in service is workable, but from a private standpoint, you teach law enforcement. And a lot of times you have law enforcement guys, they come into a, a class with the wrong attitude where they feel like they already know this already. Mm-hmm. So you're paying for a class or your agency's paying for a class Learn. Even if you're there for eight hours and you learn one new piece of uh, skill or whatever that you can put in your toolbox that might help you out on the street, take it. You know, don't come with an attitude of, well, I already know this already. It's like, well, if you know this already, then why are you in my class? So I have a difficult time teaching law enforcement on a private level for that reason. And civilians a lot of times seem like they're, they're very open to uh, learning new techniques and, and new shooting skills and new tactics and things like that. So, you know, I opted to, to go the civilian route. And again, with that comes a lot of course adjustment because there's a lot of things that you can only have so much of a vetting process with allowing people in the classes that sometimes with mainly with tactics is that you have to, you know, not dumb down, but just be careful what kind of proprietary information you're giving out, mm-hmm. um, you know, for mostly tactics, but shooting stuff, that's all the same across the board. And I'm actually kind of one of those people that takes competition shooting and combat shooting and blends them together instead of keeping them two separate sides of the house. I think they can work well in conjunction and make people more efficient shooters. Yeah. So you're not, you don't as, uh, ascribe to the theory that competition shooters will get you killed in the streets. You know, th- there's certain aspects of competition shooting that don't have a place in the combat realm. And there's obviously stuff with, with the combat shooting that doesn't have a place in the, in the competition realm. There's certain things from each that work well together. Mm-hmm. And can function, uh, you know, from a, from a making things like the competition end can make your combat shooting a lot more efficient, a lot, a lot quicker, uh, especially with reloads and weapon handling and, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I don't like from the competition world with, with the combat shooting, especially for guys that are in service is manipulating triggers to the point where they're a pound and a half, that kind of thing, only because, yeah. From what I've learned in my career is that anytime you alter a firearm in a service capacity and you have to use it, you're going to get torn to shreds by a grand jury if you've modified things to a competition level in a, in a off duty or duty carry gun. Yeah. So I've always said, but, like, if you're in a real situation, if you're in competition, like, if you can't delineate the difference between the two in your mind, if you can't rectify that difference, then I, I just, I can't even comprehend that really. Like, yeah, yeah. competition, don't do what you do there. If you're in a real situation and it seems pretty obvious to me, but people get so wound up on that stuff. And it, I think it's ridiculous. I'm like competition shooters. 
I think they have a better chance just because they know how to draw fast to get shots on target to reload. And as long as they can kind of juxtapose that with the ability to use cover concealment and, you know, just get shots on target from weird places. I think that by doing both, you're a much, much more well-rounded shooter. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things in the last 10 years that I've, that I've started to have a problem with in the law enforcement world is weapons training. And one of the problems that I have with that, and like I said earlier, the attorney general's office for the state of New Jersey is the governing law enforcement body. They put out qualification courses that we have to adhere to and we have to shoot certain scores in certain courses and they have to be documented and they get sent to the state by every agency for all of their, all of their officers and it gets kept on record. Now, one of the problem with those courses is that they're designed to eliminate liability and provide range safety in a controlled environment. And when you make these cops shoot like that multiple times a year for decades, that's how they shoot on the street. It's not combat shooting. You know, they, they frown on reloading on platforms, et cetera, for making things efficient. And uh, I think a lot of times it, it hurts officers' ability to be a better shooter, more efficient shooter in a high-stress situation because everything's based on, on range safety and liability. So I'm a nobody in the state of New Jersey, so unfortunately my voice won't get heard, but that's one of the things that I wish they would change into a, a more usable uh, firearms program for for law enforcement because the stuff that they're that we have to shoot to get scores on paper is antiquated it's from the 70s yeah. that's one thing that that I, I can definitely yeah. tell you that it's like a pr nightmare actually when the, when you do stuff like that i was part of an instructor cadre in colorado when the military when the army military police took started using the air force uh training qual standards our local battalion here was a hundred percent failure rate and mm-hmm. it was kind of a PR disaster. They actually had to go to external uh, instructors to come in and get them on track. And, you know, it was kind of a bad thing. Imagine if they do something like that, where they, they go from these old antiquated stand there, turn, fire, whatever, kneel, fire, whatever. Yep. And then they go to something that's a lot more useful, something that actually would make them better at their jobs. And then they have something like a hundred percent failure rate. It would just be a disaster. Yep, absolutely. And there's little nuances too that, that add into that. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Pat McNamara oh, yeah. uh, from mm-hmm. Team Axink, institutional inbreeding. And I see it on a daily basis at the ranges that I have to work at, uh, with my law enforcement job where, you know, certain things like guys that, well, I did a mag, I did a mag change, but I, I don't want this mag. I want my mag and it's two ports over. So, you know, they're more focused on getting their empty mag back in their pocket than they are at their firearms course. Mm-hmm. So, you do that every time, multiple times a year for decades. Now you're going to have a guy do a reload on the street during high stress. And who knows? He might be like, well, I got to get my empty magazine. That goes back to that one. Uh, there was an FBI shooting years ago where what did guys do on ranges in the revolver days? They did a reload. They didn't want to clean up brass. So they'd empty the, the revolver in their hand and put the brass in their pocket so they didn't have to clean up the range afterwards. And they had that FBI agent that got in a shooting. I've I'm not quite sure where it was exactly, uh, but it's documented. And they found him killed in the line of duty with his hand in his pocket and a handful of empty shell casings from his revolver. Wow. Because what he, what he bred into his mind on the range is what he did on the street. So a lot of that stuff needs to go, and I and I really wish that it, it would. But unfortunately, I think we're stuck. Pat McNamara's idea of institutional inbreeding, I think, just takes over all the time. There seems to be like a running sentiment that cops can't shoot. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, majority of them can't. You know, I see it in my department where 
Uh, a, it's because the training isn't training you to be better. It's training you to get by. Mm-hmm. You have to get this score. This is all you have to do. You don't have to do anything above and beyond. And most of the time, a lot of these cops aren't interested in becoming better shooters. And in New Jersey specifically, and I had this conversation with someone the other day, and they were astounded by this. Most of the cops in, in New Jersey are not gun culture people. Uh, most of the recruits that I teach at the academy have never held a gun before in their life. And there's a lot of cops that aren't interested in carrying off duty. Wow. So um, it's like one of those things where you hope you never have to use it. But at the same time, it's the tool that you have that you better be extremely proficient at your like one of your highest skills because of the liability that's involved in it and it would probably behoove all these guys to do a little training on the outside to seek uh better skills to you know ask their range masters hey can we do can we do this you know but it's it's difficult you know yeah it's difficult to get that done i agree like a lot of cops aren't a lot of the cops that we know are because they are gun culture people and they take it seriously and they train really hard but then again as much as much grief as cops get for for not being good shooters, you watch a lot of these videos on like active self protection or live leak or whatever of actual you know lethal force incidents with officers, and they're figuring it out. Like a lot of times they are. There's I'd say that I see more of those videos where the cops are on point doing what they need to do than I do you know them failing and looking silly or whatever. Because when they do, they they end up dead. Do you think that's just goes back to like building those neural pathways, even though they may not be great at it when it comes down to it, when, when the powder's in the air and the smoke's in the air and the blood's on the ground or are they just figuring it out or what? You know, I, I look at it this way. So most of your armed conflicts are up close and personal within seven yards. Yeah. With that said, you can be a mediocre shooter and still hit paper at seven yards. And especially when you're doing weapon retention drills, you know, three yard line and one yard line, that kind of thing, you know, you're close enough that, you know, I think you have enough muscle memory on shooting from close range like that, that a lot of times they make out okay and everything is cool. I think a lot of times when you see police that end up getting in, a, in an armed conflict and it turns out poorly for the, for the law enforcement, I think complacency has a lot to do with that. You get the mentality after two decades where uh, you just get so numbed by certain things like down, down in the county that I work in. I mean, it's a, it's a high crime rate. Uh, a lot of armed robberies, a lot of shootings, you know, the, the, the bigger city that's next to, to the one I work in, their full-time SWAT team does over 400 active raids a year. Um, you know, we're dealing with five square mile cities that have a hundred thousand population. So there, there's a lot, a lot of people. And I think after years of dealing with that chaos, people become complacent. When you become complacent, your skills aren't sharp and you're not paying attention. And that is when you have the potential for, for disaster to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, at the most, for the, for the most part, I think the training that law enforcement does receive for their firearms with, with qualifications, I think the part that benefits them the most is anything from the seven yard line and in, uh, anything outside of that, uh, all the way out to the 25 yard line. I think all that does is cause problems because 25 yard line, you got people that don't train, they don't shoot on a regular basis. They have to qualify with a handgun at 25 yards. Your nerves are already going. Like, I'm going to miss all these. And a lot of times that's what happens. In the reality of it, in urban environments, me personally, I, I'm, I wouldn't, you know, you're talking about busy city streets with a lot of people. You have an armed conflict, bank robbery, whatever it is. I'm not going to engage someone with a handgun at 25 yards with a high population in the area. Absolutely not. And, you know, you're also dealing with, you know, if I get to a point where I'm 25 yards away from someone, I'm probably going to be more prone to, uh, look for other options, take cover, get to a long gun, et cetera, instead of 
trying to actively engage someone with a handgun from that far. So, you know, most of the, most of the police related involved shootings are, you know, up close and personal. The majority of them mm-hmm. that you see on videos are all car stops. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Most, I'd say like, God, 80% or more. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Jimmy, what are your future plans? Um, <laughs> rule the world. <laughs> so, uh, in Ava, you've seen my lives. I mean, I kind of have, a like, I don't, I, I don't have an ego. I don't brag about myself. I just, I'm one of those guys that, uh, I tells, I tell people how it is. And a lot of times you either like it or you don't like it and people can't fault me for it. You know, I have a f- couple more years left in the, in law enforcement. Obviously I'm not staying there any longer than I need to. Uh, you know, I'm metal business one of those things where I'm kind of maxed at what I can do because, you know, right now I work, uh, I work an admin schedule, but I'm on call. Uh, so I work Monday through Friday at the PD, uh, eight hours and I'm, I'm maxed out with time. Uh, so I can't really take in any more work right now with my metal business. Uh, once I'm, once I'm out of the police department, I'm looking to expand the, the metal business tenfold, you know, looking to get into other industries that have nothing to do with, with knives and EDC tools and that type of thing. So one of the things that I, that I'm probably going to start doing is, uh, on-site work. Uh, you know, I do range repair, uh, for a lot of, uh, firing ranges. So all your target systems and things like that, they get bashed up from bullets. Uh, you know, I, I rebuild most of that stuff. So I'm looking to set up a mobile fabrication truck that can do on-site repairs at range facilities. Uh, that's, that's a bigger, bigger facility here. And I'm looking to get into other industries. And then I have the second business that I'm, I'm looking to, uh, to propagate that. That one I just started last year and I, I'm actually utilizing a law enforcement range for that, that I have an agreement with, uh, for civilian training. Uh, so that's, that's number two. And who knows? And, uh, you know, since I started Treari, uh, I've actually let my personal life kind of slide. I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, rock and ice climber, uh, mountaineer, whitewater kayaker skydiver. I'm just like a, an adventure junkie. And I kind of stopped all of that cold turkey when I started my metal shop. And uh, honestly, it's taken a toll on me psychologically because that that stuff was my outlet. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just kind of stopped the cold turkey. So I have to, that, that's my, one of my goals is to get myself back into that. So definitely. definitely. Very cool. Don't copy me. I actually have a, I have a question for you since we're on. One of the things that I noticed with uh, – New Jersey is really weird with concealed carry stuff. I only know one civilian that has a concealed carry permit in New Jersey. They're a concealed carry state. However, you'll never get it approved. It's a May so, issue, I think, right? Uh, yeah. So you have to have a lot of juice with superior court judges and whatnot to get it approved. And mm-hmm. it has to be renewed on a yearly basis. Yeah. With that said, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of my EDC and knife customers that are on my, my Facebook groups, they all – are in states like Arizona and places where you can carry concealed as a civilian. And one of the things that I, w- I was always dumbfounded by was that a lot of these states, you can go get a CCW and buy a firearm, put it in a holster and walk around with it and never have to shoot the thing to qualify or do anything to, to prove proficiency with it. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, here in Colorado, range time is not required. You have to take a class. Yep. So you never have to put a round down range. No, nope. Is that something you guys feel should be, you know, hey, let's make everyone better shooters and get everyone some trigger time and maybe, maybe take some of the, the, the bad press off of civilians carrying guns if, if it's shown that they're proficient, more proficient with these and safe with them because there is something on paper as far as 
you know, qualifications and that type of thing? Well, uh, I, I have pretty strong feelings about this. So I think that everyone should be an amazing shooter. I think everyone should sure. invest their time, their money, their energy in becoming proficient at it because ultimately we put all this time into it. And if we, if the time comes and we have to pull that out of its resting place, point at another human being and pull that trigger, like we want to be the absolute best we can be. Like we, we have a gun to save our lives. And if we don't have the skill behind that gun to save our lives, then we've just wasted our time and look like a jackass in my opinion. However, right. I do not think that the government should be the ones to tell us to do that. And I will say that there are a lot of places that have laws where um, you don't have to prove proficiency or anything like that. And we've also got places with things like constitutional carry and okay. co- constitutional carry being you can, you don't have to have a permit or any kind of class or anything to conceal carry like Arizona. And then there's a couple others as well. But I will say this. I've talked to instructors in both places. And, and the big question is once we, once they go to constitutional carry, does it hurt their business? And they say, no, it actually increased it because people seemed more interested in becoming better at it. So yes, there's going to be people who don't want to do it, who make us look like jackasses, but the second amendment is a right. And, and I don't think, I think that uh, training and all those other kind of requirements infringe on that right and also it's it's jim crow i mean sure poor people deserve to defend themselves just as much as everyone else and if they if they have to take a class and that class costs money and that ammunition costs money then they can't defend themselves so on the one hand i think everyone should be trained on the other hand i don't want the government telling us what what we can and can't do with our second amendment naturally given right Mm -hmm. sure i can agree with that uh and when I said that, it wasn't coming from a, a government employee no, not aspect all. of it. I was just always curious about it because, like, for example, when I retire, I still have to qualify to be able to carry under HR 218 oh, in the 50 states. Yeah, Leosa. Yeah, so I still have to qualify uh, just like I was when I was active. You know, so I was always curious. Like, I, I think as a civilian and I had a CCW, I'd almost, I'd almost look at it where maybe that, maybe that mentality where it's like, ah, now I'll go next month and shoot, mm-hmm. you know, cause there are a lot of people that want to carry a gun, but don't have the drive to go train with it. And in the event that you have to use that, you're opening yourself up to a huge liability criminally and legally. Uh, you know, if you do get into an armed altercation with somebody as a civilian, right. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wasn't necessarily looking at it as a government trying to control. I was looking at it from a perspective of maybe like a, maybe like a bridge, so to speak between, the government and the, and and civilians to to quell something where it's just like hey we just re- we reduced a huge amount of potential liability by 50% by you know hey let's get some let's get some stuff on paper you know i was just mainly i was curious about it, where you can actually concealed carry a firearm but never never even pull the trigger to train at all yeah yeah it, it is. And, it's true. And, yep. I, like I said, I'm, I'm definitely of two minds, but I always err on the side of freedom and not having the government put stuff on paper. It just, because it always ends up like we start out with one thing and it always just escalates to something else because yeah. of course, you know, yeah, absolutely. Which is always the biggest concern to me. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right, Ava. So, uh, you're going to stick around with us, right, Jimmy? Yeah, absolutely. All okay. right. And then also where can listeners find you? Oh, I was like, he's uh, in New Jersey. Well, <laughs> yeah, in New Jersey, yeah, at your own risk. <laughs> so I have a website, which is currently for informational purposes. I'm working on the store. I originally was going to do everything on the store, but I kind of fell in love with my following on my private Facebook groups. And for me, I don't want to be that, you know, I almost look at it like government. You know, it's one of those things where it's like if I'm a business owner and I have a I have a store on a, on a website, 
there's no individual interaction. Like I want my customers to get to know me. I want them to be able to message me and bullshit with me on the phone and be like, all right, this, this, he's a cool dude. You know, I'm buying really cool stuff from him and I can contact him anytime. Uh, so that, that end of it was really important to me. And that's basically why right now I'm only pushing my products on my one private Facebook group. Uh, because like I said, it's almost like a motorcycle club. So it's a, it's a good vibe and I, and I enjoy interacting with all my customers personally. And it um, seems like things go the minute you like put it on there, it seems like they sell out within like minutes. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Like there's, there's times like it, it causes stress on my end because I'll put, Five and then, items you, and then you have sale. to play favorites. No, I'm fair about it. So, you know, it's one of those things where uh, you've seen how I drop stuff the first, like, and I do ridiculous things. Like I'll make people say quotes, first five people to say this, get it, you know? So I'll have, you know, I'll refresh my page and there's five items and I'll have 40 people that went in on it. And, wow. You know, literally in like seven seconds. So it's one of those things where I have to sit and, and refresh my page a couple of times. A lot of times I recheck on a desktop to make sure who the first five people were mm-hmm. and I'll screenshot it and post it. So I'd run everything fairly, but the stuff does go quick and it, and it, the, when I do product drops, they get chaotic <laughs> for sure. But my main website is, uh, uh, which right now is just mainly informational. And then, uh, my one private group is, uh, on Facebook, Triari Underground. And, uh, I actually am also doing a lot of product, uh, with a retailer, blacklinetactical.com. Uh, Dave Brown owns that. He's a super good dude. So he has, uh, some of it's collaboration stuff. Uh, a lot of it is just my product strictly. And there's a whole, uh, he has a whole page set up with my bio and everything like that. So yeah, Blackline Tactical is one of my, one of my retailers that I do a lot of work with. Very and, nice. Uh, and you also have my, I don't do product drops on it, but I do do a lot of, um, educational articles on different metal types and heat treating and black oxide coatings and, and process work and, uh, things like that. Uh, it's my business Facebook page, which is Triari Metalworks LLC. That's awesome. And Triari is spelled T-R-I-A-R-I-I, uh, for all those who don't know how to spell old Roman stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I love it, man. Stick around. And Ava, we have some exciting stuff to say right here. All right, you guys ready for this? I'm ready. We have a new advertiser. Can I get that again? Uh, maybe. Hold oh, on. God. You know, maybe if your finger wasn't so fat, Sean. <laughs> All right, just shut up. <laughs> All right, so Q is our newest advertiser. And okay, okay, that's enough. Stop <laughs> pressing the button. Jeez. I do what I want. Uh, so for you guys who aren't, who may not be familiar with Q, which I don't understand how anybody couldn't be. We had him on the show, episode 66, Kevin Brittingham, and he's known for the fix, uh, the honey badger suppressors. Uh, he makes some really cool stuff and I'm actually going out there next week to New Hampshire, uh, to build the fix. And so I'll be pretty awesome. Yeah. I'll be documenting that and, uh, yeah, pretty excited. So we're really excited to have him. If you guys don't follow them on, on social media, go ahead and follow them. The Fix and the Honey Badger sell out really quickly anytime that it's posted, but their suppressors seem to always be in stock. So definitely check them out and uh, hopefully, you know, lots of good things coming in the future. And they're sponsoring our newest segment. And here we go. Dropping Wisdom. Slinging truth. Bear yourself for 
knowledge bomb. <laughs> wow, that was pretty crazy. I, I, I love that intro, actually. We're using it forever. I love it. Yeah, I don't know if I like the heavy metal. No, I, I love it, so we're doing it. Ava, what the hell is knowledge bomb? All right, so knowledge bomb is just anything that maybe, you know, maybe we can just kind of push a little bit of knowledge on you. Uh, we might have some of our Patreons come on and do a little segment of something that the average person may not know. Uh, we might state some facts, you know, or that may or may not be true. <laughs> don't, don't quote us if, you know, if they're not true. I looked them up. They're all true. Okay, good. Cause that's, yeah, that was a, a concern of mine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really all kinds of stuff. We could talk about like industry news, things that are going on in the industry that people might not know. Yeah. Lots of wiggle room. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that we're going to do now. We're going to start it off with just some fun facts that Ava found. And uh, we're going to, we're going to say the fact and then we'll talk about it a little bit. And- all right. I want to say the fact. Okay, you say the fact. All right, so a gun can fire in space because gunpowder contains its own oxidizer. Yes. Generally, saltpeter is one of the oxidizers used. Uh, there's there's also multiple other oxidizers. Saltpeter was kind of one of the ones that, that they started out with and is still used in some powders, but most people think that it can't fire because there's no oxygen to create the explosion, which turns the powder into gas, which pushes the projectile out of the muzzle. But mm-hmm. since it has its own oxidizer... Guns can and will fire in space. Now, one interesting fact that I found is that if you shoot a gun in space, like it will just go forever. It will never, it will never stop. And since the universe is ever expanding, it will never hit the edge of the universe, which brings me to my next thing. Like once we colonize like the moon and Mars and shit like that, people are going to take guns. People are going to shoot guns. Just imagine after like a hundred years of people shooting guns in space, people are just randomly going to get killed. Yeah. You're going to be, it's like a drive by from a fucking hundred year old bullet. <laughs> it's going to be so ridiculous. Cool. What, That's what, not very cool. What do you think about that, Jimmy? Uh, you had me sold at colonizing Mars. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wanted to be like, I don't know. The I'm, West. Not, I'm not, uh, I'm not up on my quantum physics. So, um, I'm unsure about that. I mean, I'm, I would imagine that if you didn't have constant propulsion, that it probably would. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Would it would it retain a consistent speed? Yeah. After uh, right. you know. Yeah. So uh, the universe expands at a rate of 73 kilometers per second per megaparsec, which is three million light years, or the average distance between galaxies. Uh, there was a scientist uh, last name Cuck by chance. Uh, cal- by, by his calculations, that means uh, that matter. That is 40,000 to 50,000 light years away from the bullet would move away from it at about the same speed at which it is traveling and would thus be forever out of reach. In the entire future of the universe, the bullet will catch up only to atoms that are less than 40,000 or so light years from the chamber of your gun. Wow, Sean, you just sounded really smart. Yeah, I was reading. It, I know. It sounded like you you almost weren't even reading. Oh, see, that's that's what I wanted. Yeah, it was yeah, great. All right. Next fact. Breda is the oldest gun company in the world. Uh, it was established in 1526 in... Brescia? Brescia? Uh, hold on, let me look. Where, where is it? Oh, Brescia, Italy, yeah. Also look this one up. That's actually pretty true. Some interesting things that happened in 1526 was a transit of Venus occurs. Uh, the last before optical filters allowed astronomers to observe them. Emperor Gonara ascends to the throne of Japan. That was an interesting one. And in spring, the first complete printed translation of the New Testament of the Bible into the English language by William Tyndale arrives in England from Germany which I thought was kind of interesting. So I, then I looked up Beretta to kind of see what their first firearms. Yeah. I was were. like, wow, way to go off on some tangents. <laughs> but here's the thing about this is that Beretta, they kind of started out uh, because uh, what was his name? Uh, Bartholio, I believe I'm looking, I don't see it. Bart. Oh yeah. Bartolomeo. He was a gunsmith 
And back then they actually had guilds and these guilds were basically barrel makers. There, there was a guild, a guild of barrel makers that would pass down through the generations of a family. And then eventually Bartolomeo got this knowledge from his father, grandfather, whatever, and created Beretta. Eventually Napoleon would actually get rid of all these guilds, but Beretta survived this and continued to flourish for the next 500 years. Very cool. And then uh, this is the most interesting fact out of the three. In 2013, a Chicago man named Marco Alvarado told police who pulled him over, I'm going to be real with you. I have a gun in my ass. And the cops then found a gun in his ass. Yeah, prison purse. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, what happened to the other fact? I thought that was actually a cool one. Okay. I just figured we're kind of running on time. It's cool. All right. The FBI has almost every gun ever manufactured to use as a reference to solve crimes. This is actually true. The FBI does have a reference firearms collection. Uh, Includes more than 7,000 firearms curated over 80 years from John Dillinger's Prohibition Era revolver to modern Battlefield's M16 and almost everything in between. There's very few guns that they actually don't have. And this, uh, this collection is housed at the FBI laboratories in Quantico, Virginia. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. And I think that we have just successfully dropped some knowledge on them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, where are we at? Matador Arms. Oh, yeah, Matador Arms. So uh, remember when they sent me a Sidewinder and then you stole it from me? Yeah, I do. I remember it really well. I it's, guess it's pretty cool. I haven't really used it. I haven't been able to. I still have it. Yeah, that's cool. So how's it treating you? It's it's great. It's on my X-Tar EXP, which is like a, just a fire-breathing dragon of a... Uh, it's an air pistol, so I use the Sidewinder. I put a buffer and then a brace on it. So now it's got kind of the folding brace adapter. Uh, pretty dang cool. It is a piston-driven firearm. This doesn't work on AR-15s or anything where the actual bolt carrier group goes back in the buffer. It just works on stuff that doesn't have a buffer. And uh, I love it. It works great. And you can bend it right or left. Yes, you can set it up to however you want to. Fold it right or left. Yep. yep. And they also uh, sponsor our prank calls. Yep. Don't forget, matadorarms.com, coupon code GUNFUNNY10. And here we go. It's time for prank calls with Malcolm and Gertrude. Honey! Hi. Uh, my name is Brittany, and I have been looking for a new gun. But I think that ARs are kind of garbage. So do you have any other recommendations? What are you looking for? Uh, just something semi-auto, something fun to play with. Oh, an AR? Uh, See, I don't like ARs because they are kind of junk. Uh, in an automatic? Let's see. Well, do you want a high-powered rifle or do you want a twenty-two? Uh, something in the, in the middle, because I'm a little bit feminine, so high power kind of <laughs> sounds like it would kick the shit out of me. Okay. Well, then you you need to go with something like a 22. Okay, what do you have that's 22 semi-auto? Boy, I, I don't think I have any right now. Doggone it. No, I <laughs> have the bold axes, but no 22 automatics. Okay, uh, what, um, what could I get? Well, I've got uh, I've got a uh, uh, Thompson Center. I've got one of their new rifles. Ooh, um, fancy. They're kind of like looks like a uh, they're a twenty two automatic, I guess. Forgot about that one. That's the only one I've got. And then you get bolt actions or 
you know, whatever. There's a million kinds of guns. See, I'm, I'm, I have a kind of a tight, uh, budget, like two hundred dollars or less. That's that's all uh, I have. No, nah, I don't have anything in that line. <laughs> no, I don't Nothing have anything. Uh, I could take your phone number in case something comes up. Well, that's all right. Uh, I appreciate the help, though. You bet. No problem. Bye bye. Bye bye. Brittany doesn't sound that feminine to me. <laughs> <laughs> and in the words of HK, don't be poor. <laughs> right, don't be a poor Brittany. Uh, so that 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 shop owner, he like inspired us. So I created a new character based on him that will uh, make its debut next week. Yeah, pretty funny. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, yeah. I was like, I don't know who's funnier right now, Brittany or the uh, the shop owner. <laughs> the shop owner, clearly. <laughs> oh uh, God, don't it? I don't know. Uh, great job, uh, Tater, on that prank call. Yeah, that was that was our little buddy Patreon Tate Mesman. Exactly, love it. All right, Ava. So Polymer 80 saw him at SHOT Show. All kinds of cool stuff in the works. Yeah. Uh, so they are now coming out with their own ammo. Right now it's just limited to 9mm and two two three. But I mean, like, that's all you need, right? <laughs> and uh, and then they also have a pistol conversion kit, which is really interesting because you can get different adapters and it fits virtually almost any handgun. Yeah. So the Micro Roni only fits Glocks. This one's interesting. And they're bringing it in from IMI. And it actually does fit the polymer 80s, so you can create your little carbine pistol type thing. And mm-hmm. pretty damn cool. It's called the Kaidon? Kidon? Yeah, we got to ask Alex about that. I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah, K-I-D-O-N. Cool. Uh, go to polymer80.com, use the code GUNFUNNY, and that gets you 10% off. Definitely. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Jimmy, we figured that we would talk about non-knife pocket carry tools slash weapons just because of, you know, it's sort of like right up your alley. Okay. So what do you guys, what like, what do you normally see people carrying? When I started in that EDC world, it was those, you know, I had, like I said, I had a friend of mine that came and asked me about those, those mini pocket pry bars. Okay. Yeah. Pry bar. That's, so I remember the first time I saw one of those and I was like, oh, what is this? A door stopper <laughs> or to get inside yeah. a, you know? <laughs> All of well, the above. So it's funny because I, uh, you know, again, some of this, some of this stuff is like the whole EDC world is new to me because I kind of fell into it by chance two years ago. And he asked me to make them. I made them. They ended up going viral. I ended up making larger ones for the purpose of, uh, breaking open interior doors and structures. And they got utilized by tactical units in the county that I work in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they, I found that they have a definitive purpose. But a lot of these smaller ones, keychain size, you know, four inch, uh, five inch little slim line, uh, ones that I make, you know, I cut a bottle opener on them. So they have, uh, some definitive purpose. Everyone drinks beer. And, uh, I've actually seen a lot of these guys utilizing them to open electrical panels. You know, they'll stick them between pieces of rock board to lift up the edge so they can pick up the rock board, et cetera. Like, you know, break and pry and trim off of doorways. Like construction guys actually use these things. The other definitive use I've had for them, uh, specifically, you know, ones that are that are four and a half, five inches long, is that they actually make a great pressure point impact weapon. You know, and it's one of those things. Again, it's a gray area. What is a weapon? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it's on your keys and you don't use it as a weapon, you're not going to get in trouble for it. But the second you crack someone in the head with it, you get charged with possession of a weapon. <laughs> right. So, you know, that's one of the one of the tools that 
I've actually messed around with in a hand-to-hand capacity, and it's hardened tool steel. So if you stick it in someone's <laughs> collarbone, it's going to hurt. A lot of other uh, EDC things are knuckles. There's a lot of uh, knuckles out there, uh, whether it's a single knuckle or a double knuckle. Is that um, legal in most states? I wouldn't imagine so. Yeah, no, um, it's not in Colorado. But it's like weird. It's like all these uh, another like gray areas. These things are illegal, but yet you can buy them off of like Amazon or you know really right. wherever. Right. Yeah. So again, you cut a bottle opener into a, a knuckle. Is it still a knuckle or is it a bottle opener? It's a bottle so, opener until it's not. Right, right, exactly. So it, it is, again, it's a big gray area, but uh, those two items are a lot of the main ones. Uh, there's another item out there, if you guys are familiar with what marlin spikes are. No. Uh, marlin spikes are actually a nautical tool, and uh, a lot of times they're used for uh, rigging. Uh, so uh, a marlin spike, uh, like a, a commercially available marlin spike, is probably about... 12 to 18 inches long, and it's a long tapered metal spike. Uh, so what a lot of guys have done is they've shrunk this down into a pocket-sized one that's pen size. So you might have one that's made out of titanium, real pretty, a lot of, you know, heat, uh, anodized colors on it. And then they, and then they put their, they put their golf ball on it. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Their, their monkey fist. Um, (laughs) Uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, Marlin spikes are another one. Um, I went one step further with the Marlin spikes. So one of the things that I do with a lot of my tools is, uh, I use metals that are designed for whatever the tool's purpose is. So me personally, a titanium pry bar, I'm not a fan of titanium in certain applications, aerospace. Yeah, absolutely. For a tool that's getting hammered into yeah. something, mm-hmm. titanium's not my choice. So I make everything out of impact resistant tool steel. Specifically S7, it's what they make jackhammer bits out of. It's tough, tough metal. So, um, I went one step further and I decided, well, let me, let me see if I can take the idea of these titanium marlin spikes that everyone's making and weaponize it even more. So I started making them out of hardened tool steel and <laughs> I can actually hammer them through a fence post. So I just like, I like over engineering stuff and taking stuff to a different level. So I don't know, Ava, you've probably seen me drop those things on my page. They're called coffin nails. Mm-hmm. So that was my version of the Marlin spike. It's basically a five inch shank with a sharpened end on it that's heat treated and hardened, uh, black oxide coated. So it's again, is it a weapon? Yeah, but I can punch through a Kevlar vest if I needed to. So it's, <laughs> it's sharp and it's useful or you can, frame your house with it if you need. I love um, it. But, uh, yeah, so mainly the, the pry bars, the Marlin spikes, knuckles are the, the main ones that you see out there that are, that are kind of like, uh, personal defense weapons, I guess you could say. But again, it's like everything else, you know, just because you're carrying a knife, you better know how to use it. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want to do is get disarmed and have it used against you. Yeah. yeah. I don't want uh, um, a coffin nail in me. I don't either. That would be awful. <laughs> and then the other end of it too, I've actually been making knives for the last five years. Uh, I have not released them publicly yet. They, they were a, a item that I kind of started making on a whim and they went to guys that I was associated with that were in active military units and I never released them to the public. Uh, but they are actually coming, uh, this spring. So, uh, the knife designs that I did were more, uh, it's another, another thing that I've done for the last 17 years is, uh, knife work defensively. And, uh, I've kind of designed, uh, my flagship blade, uh, around human body mechanics. So it, it makes it a, a more efficient knife. And there's 
one of the things that I've seen in, again, it's same thing probably with what, uh, you know, you guys do with the firearms industry. Everything is based on fads. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed a lot of, uh, knife designers uh, are following fads and it's left a lot of these, uh, blade designs unusable. They're not functional. Uh, they look cool, but mm-hmm. if you needed to use it for a certain task, a lot of them are, are poorly designed. Uh, so I kind of designed mine around, uh, Japanese cutlery. Uh, so it's, it's usable for, for skinning, puncturing, d- defensively, offensively. Uh, for steak, whatever you need it, you know, whatever you need. And it's, uh, and it's based, uh, a lot of the, the angles, the blade design and the grip are all based around body mechanics. Uh, so that I'll, I'll be having those, uh, pop up on the market probably sometime in the spring. And there's a huge, huge, uh, knife show. It's the biggest one in the world. It's in Atlanta every year. First uh, weekend in June. It's called Blade. Yeah. And, uh, I went to that for my first time last year on a whim. Uh, it wasn't, plan someone asked me if i wanted to share a table last minute and i guess i didn't really realize how big my following was on facebook and you know i got flooded and there was like a crew of 30 of my customers we were going to dinner every night so it was like you know the whole motorcycle club philosophy worked and it was really cool to to see it and i enjoyed it a lot so i have a full booth there this year nice and uh hope my goal is to get my blades done so i have a, a whole pile of them ready to go for blades so I kind of, I kind of, my philosophy with a lot of this stuff is I don't follow fads. I think outside the box and I have really, really bizarre marketing tactics. With that, I end up with products that they look a lot different than everybody else. They're made out of different materials than everybody else uses. And I almost revert back to, instead of fads, I revert back to what the human body wants to use. And I try and incorporate over engineering and high levels of functionality into everything I make. So. Hopefully they go well. We'll nice. see what happens. But yeah, they're coming out and, uh, they're coming out in the spring. And I have a whole line of kitchen cutlery that I'm currently working on. And, uh, now you're speaking well. Sean's language. Oh, <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. Um, one of the things. Well, that no, I mean, that... he just likes to hang out in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So my kitchen cutlery is, uh, I have the whole set designed. It's all CAD designed. Now, when I, when I make knives, there's a couple of schools of thought and you have guys that are, they, they make knives via forging which is, it's 100% forged. So you have metals that are, you know, a basic metal for forging would be 1095 steel. That's a forging metal. Then you have your high-tech alloys, which would be, uh, an example would be S30V or S90V. Now, the thing is, is those steels are so advanced that there's no need to forge them. The forging process was basically your ancient way to make weaponry. But once you have these advanced steels that are manufactured so flawlessly, there's no reason to forge them. Um, so then, then you get into the realm of, it's like a, a mid tech kind of knife making where you, you know, for example, what I do with mine is I CAD design my, my knife design, my, my basic drawing. I water jet the, the blanks and then all of the blade portion of it is hand ground on a grinder by me. So that's kind of like you're still retaining some of the artisan skill on that blade because even though it's cut, the blank is cut out of a water jet, I still hand grind the knife. So they're my grinds. It's my skill on the grinder that that person's buying. Yeah. Nice. And then your third, your third type is uh, production knives, which an artisan never touches. It goes into a CNC and it's cut automated 100%. So that's almost where you lose your attachment to that artisan. You know, so now you're buying a production knife like Columbia River, 
I carry a Columbia River every day. That's just the knife that I like. Yep. It's a production knife, but it's one of those things where if it would mean a lot to me if I had a knife maker that I followed and I purchased one of his knives, his work went into that, his skill went into that blade profile, et cetera. So there's a little bit more of an attachment personally in some knife that was to some degree. Um, you know, so with the kitchen cutlery, what I'm looking to do is, uh, only because I've never seen it, I'm big on, on certain aesthetics and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm looking into coming up with a way to make, uh, my kitchen cutlery black. Uh, most of my other knives and tools are all blacked out. So the big, the big problem I have is, um, you know, the main, the main way to make metal black is black, hot black oxide. Mm-hmm. And it's not really what you want to be cutting your food with from a chemical perspective. So working on that, but big color line is, uh, black blades with, uh, hammered copper handles. And, uh, it's going, they're going to be in, in a, uh, black marble stone block. Wow. So that's my, that's my ultimate goal with it. I love um, it. so functionality, aesthetics, outside the box look, that kind of thing. So, uh, hopefully this year sometime I'll have those hit in the market as well. Sounds awesome. And that is definitely my aesthetic right there. Uh, Ava, it is time to talk about some reviews, right? Mm-hmm. It's your time to shine. Oh, I have to read them again. Yeah. God, I'm still doing this. All right. So first off, if you haven't left us a review over at either Facebook or iTunes or wherever you can leave a review, uh, please do so. We appreciate it. It helps people make the choice to uh, listen to the show. First up, we have Knuckle Up FL, five stars, bullseye. I hate this show, but I can't stop listening to it. It's like a, a ugly baby or a pug or even a can of Pringles. First off, Pringles is a genius way to store chips. Uh, keep up the subpar work so I'll stay entertained. FYI, I love you a little. Or wine. All right. That's Pringles and in, in, you know, wine. Putting wine in a Pringles, yeah. yeah. Like pull, that lady. pull that Walmart lead. Exactly. Yeah. Neutral Lance says five stars. Great show to lighten your day. Gun Funny is a great show. I've been listening to FRN since its inception and a huge fan of WLS. What, what? Was glad to see that Ava got her own show finally. Prank calls are great. And Sean and Ava's awkward relationship makes for good comedy. Keep up the good work. <laughs> <laughs> Todd A. Schmidt, 24, says five stars. Chalupa Batman thanks you. The podcast is great. And my puppy Chalupa Batman, we have a fan of the league there, uh, is a fan as well. Taking him on long walks around my neighborhood golf course is much easier with your voices in my ears. An hour or so for each podcast is long enough to get him out to smell all the smell along to tire to smell all the smell <laughs> along to tire the little guy out. He knows when the headphones are out. God damn. He knows when the headphones are out in it's walk time. Keep up the good work. Help me prevent Chalupa from getting fat. <laughs> Aww. I'm like, did I just have a stroke? <laughs> Jimmy, out of those three, we're going to pick a winner, but I want you to pick who the winner oh, should be. You're putting me on the spot. <laughs> That's right. That's what we do best. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I would go with the last one. All right. Me Tom. too. Cause I like Chalupa sounds so cute. I know. Yeah. A little Chalupa. Aw, uh, maybe Chalupa and Tickles could have a play date. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Todd A. Schmidt, 24, you win. Get in contact with us and we'll send out your free swag. Ava, let's wrap this thing up. All right. So, guys, if you want to look for us, go to gunfunny.com. We have links to everything there. We recently became affiliates with a bunch of different companies. So if you guys are buying stuff from like Brownells, Palmetto State Armory, uh, Cabela's, like you name it, we pretty much have affiliate links. Just go to gunfunny.com forward slash support us. Is it support us or support? Just support. Support. And then also, if you want to support the show, consider becoming a Patreon. 
Basically, a dollar pledge gets you access to our Patreon-only Facebook page. Uh, depending on your level of donation, you'll get access to our monthly raffle. Uh, we'll even say your name on the show. Mm-hmm. And right now, we have our list is growing. Yep, twenty-five dollar Patreons uh, to to get your name right on the show, and that list is okay. I'll read it. Corbin yeah. Bonafide. Iraq veteran 8888, Charger Arms, Ryan Morrison, John Snow, Kevin Brittingham, Nathan Keck, and Michael Alexiu. Alexiu? Well, I- I don't know. We're going to have to ask him how that's pronounced. So I'm thinking like Atreyu from The NeverEnding Story. So Alexiu. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and th- because And because of your guys' donation, uh, we are able to afford an editor and make the show sound a lot better. Kenny Ortega, thank you so much. Great job. We appreciate you. And uh, our king of the patrons is still 2A Jewels. Yep. That's the the individual or company that donates the most via Patreon every month. Uh, you could take them out and get a chance to have your own T-shirt. But until you do, 2A Jewels is the bomb. And you, that would be you'd have to pledge $76 or more. Yep. So um, I just want you guys to know this is the show is going to come out on Monday, uh, which is tomorrow. And basically you have until – I mean if you want to throw in like a last-minute Valentine's Day gift, Valentine's Day is on Thursday. Uh, there still is maybe a, a little bit of time. You actually will get 10% off if you mention the show when you place that order on either Instagram or Facebook page. Just uh, contact 2A Jewels. Very, very cool. Uh, we've got also got a new little thing that we're doing. Tack Pack has agreed to do a giveaway every single month. Uh, you're going to be able to go to win at gunfunny.com slash TP. And that stands for Tack Pack, not toilet paper. We get it. We heard the jokes. It was just easy, <laughs> simple. And uh, you know we know our listeners. So gunfunny.com slash TP. You can win a box. And if you don't want to enter and you just want to sign up right away, use the code GUNFUNNY and you'll get a free SOG tool when you first sign up. Which is pretty dang cool. And that's TACPAC.com, T-A-C-P-A-C-K.com. And that'll just about do it. Go to Patreon.com slash GUNFUNNY. And uh, Jimmy, it's been awesome, man. Yeah, yeah thank man. You. I thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me on here. It was, uh, was great talking with you. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I learned that I didn't know about you. Uh, I try and keep myself low key and, and <laughs> sh- shadow opposite as the allure. <laughs> I love it. People can find you. Uh, just look for tri- uh, Triari Metalworks. That's T-R-I-A-R-I-I Metalworks. And obviously the underground on Facebook. I don't know what it takes to get in there, but uh, you know, he'll let you know when you I try. mean, a nice, a nice rack helps. There you go. Sean, you'll you have, have no problem. Me, you have to send me a DNA sample if you don't have that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, guys, we are out of here. We are out. We'll talk to you next week. Want to send feedback? Suggest a place to prank call? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.